Welcome back, everyone, to episode 41 of Ancient Ways for Modern Days. I'm here, Mike is here, and you know what? We are just ready to kind of just jump into this. This has been quite the week for us, Mike. It's been a great week, it's man. Been a, it's been a great week. So I, I just to start us off then, I, listeners, I hope you're having a great day or a week, whatever is going on in, in your world, but... Uh, Mike and I, you, you and I have had a lot of time together this week. We, we usually have a lot of time together, but it was That's even true. more time together. Yeah, and I think I'm excited for this episode because I think we're about to uh, not like regurgitate, but we've, we, we've sat down and we did some training this week, and man, we have a lot to share and just kind of walk through and to share with you, our listener, our congregation, our, our fellow Christians, because... There are some amazing observations and things happening in, in Christendom right now, and I think there's a lot of things that we need to get a hold of to think about as we move forward as Christians here in 2020. Yeah, you know, over the last few years, as you and I have been working together, we, we've talked a lot about the need for discipleship. We've talked a lot about how um, so much of the hiccups that exist in church today are because of a lack of discipleship. And so what we did is we cut out a couple of days to spend uh, time thinking through discipleship, going through some discipleship training. And uh, and it was kind of like a fire hose. It was just heavy, heavy on content and some processing. And so what today's podcast is, is is we're um, we're circling back to some of that content and really to actually some stuff outside of what we studied together, just to think about what it what is discipleship in the world today. What's it take to make disciples? Um, because it seems like the church is good at doing church mm-hmm. and in can be really good at having services and can be really good at even caring for people and teaching the Bible. Uh, but then are are we actually are do those efforts do they lead to making disciples. Right. And, you know, just to let you know, I guess the context of what we went through, man, we, we essentially attended like a master's level course. It just felt like, and it was, I mean, it was hours of lecture that we just sat through and we powered through. I mean, like there were times where we're like, well, it's lunchtime and we're like, let's just grab lunch and just keep on going. Like, let's, you know, it, it's crazy. So we're excited to share this with you. And because I guess one thing that you need to understand is that as we go in and start to emphasize and talk about certain things, it's not always about dropping things. This is more about shifting our focus and making sure that we are honoring everything that Christ has commanded us to do. Because culturally, I mean, this happens every generation, I think, is sometimes we tend to, we can overemphasize something at the expense of maybe another uh, call to obedience. And right now, I think this is a good opportunity for us to take a moment to stop and look at what discipleship is so that we can be faithful to our Lord and King. And honestly, so that you, our listener, our, ourselves, that we are just glorifying God and knowing his essence and his presence more and more as we seek to be obedient to him. Yeah. Now we're talking about making some shifts, right? And so you, you make the shifts in the same car, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I've told you this story about when I bought a, a manual car, before I knew how to drive a manual oh, transmission. No, I've not heard this story. Yeah, so uh, I, I was working at Albertsons and my truck was having some really big issues. And um, actually, it basically barely got me to work one morning. I got to work at like 5.30 a.m. And my boss was there and I walked in and I just was uh, kind of grumpy because of my truck not working. And uh, and he didn't know this. And he just said, hey, Mike, uh, I'm going to sell my, my car. Do you want to buy it? And I was like, 
what? And so it was kind of like a God thing, like, okay, tell me about this. Right. And so yeah. we worked out a payment plan, all of that. He was, he was a great boss, man. He's actually a, a friend of mine, oh, good. A close friend of mine still. But, um, but somewhere along the line, I found out that it was not an automatic. <laughs> it was a manual transmission. I'd never driven one. Okay. And so later that day we went, um, to this like uh, Walmart parking lot and he was going to, he was going to show me how to drive. It. He was going to teach me how to drive it. Okay. Well, he was a family man, had kids and all this and something came up in his house. So he like, we got like five minutes into him showing me how to do this and he left. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm there in this car, no idea how to drive it. And so I start just, you know, kind of tearing it up a little bit and, yeah. and figuring it out. And, and I got to the spot where I was kind of almost confident. And so, you know, what do you do when you get a car? And it was a, it was a sporty looking car. Okay. Oh, I went and picked up my girlfriend right back then Jessica okay. before we were married I went and picked her up at her house and, and she lived on this big hill and uh oh, and so man. I I went basically looped down the hill and then I started going back up the hill but I did not connect the dots that you had to downshift yeah when you're going up a hill mm -hmm. and because I had no idea what I was doing I thought oh well I, I need more and so maybe I need to upshift I don't know and so yeah. I tried upshifting as I'm going up the hill in the car die I, it stalls out in this hill with and then my girlfriend not even committed to me yet not even my wife my yeah. girlfriend and oh man my, my face was beat red i was sweating bullets i you know it, it was a mess was oh a mess. man and it was a mess because i didn't know how to you didn't have a shift that's right right and so right. uh i think that story helps us to to really launch into this conversation about as believers are we so stuck in our ways are we so stuck in our cultural approach to what church is or what following Christ is that we're, we're not able to shift mm -hmm. into the right gears so we can be effective, so we can climb over these massive hills that really we're dealing with in the church today, right? right? Yeah. And that's, that's a good illustration because sometimes as Christians, we grow up in a Christian world. And so what we know, what, what, we, what we have experienced, we think that's what church is when really church is actually really dynamic. Church is what the what the Bible tells us it is, and then how it's lived out in that current cultural context, right? So some of the things that we used to do in the 60s and the 80s are some of the things that we do in America don't necessarily translate to churches over in China and all those things. So that's why it's really important that we have the ability to go back to the authority of the Word of God yes, right. and make some shifts, make some changes so that we continue to be obedient and experience His goodness and glorify His name. Yeah. So in that, some of Jesus's final words to us are what's called the Great Commission. And this is something we, we, we go back to over and over again. I, I, I'll be curious to see how many times we've spoken about the Great Commission on our podcast. I, I imagine we've done it a few times already. I hope so. And we're only like 41 episodes in, you know? I know. Um, but the Great Commission, Andrew, why don't you read that for us? Yeah, this is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yeah. You know, this is part of our conversation the last few days when we were doing some discipleship training and uh, we actually had a good conversation uh, in the original language about what this is actually saying and what the command is and what the participle is, right? So in, in language, a participle is kind of an ing word, right? Like mm -hmm. um, Andrew is wearing a beanie right now, mm -hmm. right? Um, I am. So uh, you are, that's right. It's uh, cold out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your office is chilly. Yeah. Um, 
And so a participle is describing, right? And so really the participle here is the idea of uh, going, right? Mm -hmm. Baptizing and teaching. Those all modify what the actual command here Mm -hmm. is. And and the command here is to make... Disciples. Yeah. And so oftentimes we don't think this way though. We think the, the command is to make believers, Right, and so if we're shifting, I want to talk about our first shift. It's actually we need to shift from the idea of of reaching people, right, mm-hmm. to to making disciples. So the shift one is from reaching to making. Okay, um, Ogden, one of the guys we looked at this this week, um, discipleship kind of guru. He talks about this is the the shift from decision to transformation. Yeah, can you illustrate that a little bit? What what does that actually look like so that people kind of understand what you're, you're tracking? Yeah. So. That, so Sometimes we're we're trained to think about um, our job as believers to is to get people to cross a certain line, right. and so I've got people who do not believe in Jesus in my life, and and sometimes what we do is we say, okay, my whole goal is to get them to cross that line, to believe, to be baptized, and start coming to church, even if it's occasionally, mm-hmm. and then you know what I, I can move on to the next person, and I got to get someone else to cross the line, right? right? And it's kind of this, you know, the finish line is them saying yes to Jesus, right. which do we want people to say yes to Jesus? We do. Yeah, absolutely. Do we want people to be baptized? You bet. Do we want people to come to church? Of course. Right. But, but that is not the end goal. It is not. That's the commencement. Yeah. That's the start. Another way of looking at that, I mean, imagine people who are listening to this are probably about our age who probably have experienced Bible camp and all those things. And I, I remember those nights when you go to camp and then all of a sudden like the emotions are high and then there's an altar call and then someone says, oh, I want to accept Jesus. And they go up forward and then everyone starts to accept Jesus. There's a part of our, of our culture that thinks that's the end game, that we want everyone to go up to the, and answer an altar call, accept Jesus, and we celebrate. And those are great things. But what we're talking about is that for a lot of us, we, th- we tend to think that's the goal. Like, right, we just kicked in the, 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 the football. We don't kick footballs. We, we, we scored a touchdown. You, you can kick a football, oh, though. Okay, yes. there we go. Sorry. With, with your foot. Yes. I guess when you – anyway. Are you talking uh, about soccer ball or football? Football or you football? Kick, whatever one you score a touchdown with. <laughs> but, that's, but the point is we tend to think that's the end game. Yeah. But it's not. And it's yeah. actually the beginning. <laughs> And, you know, sometimes churches, even because of this, they will, um, man, I, I've heard of churches that would manipulate, manipulate that situation, right? Yeah. And so they're, you know, they've got a big crowd and they're, you know, they want people to come down and spontaneously be, be baptized or something like that. And so, you know what, they actually have people ready to go down and be baptized. Mm. And it's, it looks spontaneous, but it's not. Right. Or they have people that are ready to come down for an altar call. And, it, you know, it looks like it's spontaneous, but it's, oh, we need to get the first few to come up. We need some plants to go up and do it so that everyone else will. And it ends up being, uh, I mean, we're going off on a tangent here, but it, it, it's misdirected. It is. And it flows out of this mindset. I got to get people to cross the line. Right. And that's, I don't think it's a tangent. I think culturally what we're saying is that, these things are to be celebrated because they are monumentous moments, but it's not, that's not the end. What, what we really should realize is that when someone accepts Jesus, when someone is baptized into the body of believers, that's just the beginning. That's not the end. That's just the beginning. And that's what we're getting at here with, with Ogden. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the ways you can picture this is we need to move from drawing lines to drawing circles. Here's what I mean. Instead of saying, I got to get someone across this line, what we need to do is we need to think of every person in our life is someone that we are in a discipleship relationship with. And they are, they're somewhere in proximity to Jesus. And so if they're a believer, maybe they're close to Jesus. 
maybe they're they're a wayward believer and they've they've they're they, you know if this metaphorical circle they're kind of far from Jesus, but they know him. Maybe they're a non-believer and they're on the the very outer rim of this circle. They're they're far far away, but we know them. And if we if we shift our thinking from saying I, I need to get this person across the line, instead we say I need to help this person take whatever their next step is to know Jesus to hear Jesus's voice, to consider Jesus, to, to trust Jesus, to obey Jesus. We start saying, okay, how do I help every person gradually move more toward the center where Jesus is? So if I'm hearing you correctly, these spheres or these circles are concentric circles, as in these circles exist inside, like there's a, there's a big circle and then a smaller circle and it's all within that. Yeah, and basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and so we're saying we want to help people grow toward Christ. We want to help people know who Jesus is. That That's really the shift we're saying, right? Mm-hmm. And so imagine if, if everyone who is a believer, everyone at Valley, everyone who listens to this podcast, they stop saying, okay, people are projects and I need to get my project across the line. I need to finish my project. And we start to say, we stop saying that and we start saying, you know what? God has intentionally put every person in my life in relationship with me for his purpose. And, and Jesus has given me the purpose of making disciples. And so that really changes the way we think about people, the way we care about people, the way we talk to people, mm-hmm. the way we commit to people, right? That's a, just a completely different view. And so with that language, if I'm hearing you correctly, and this is what Ogden was talking about, is that it gets us away from the idea of people making decisions but and and just saying, hey, I believe in Jesus. But it's the idea of going away from decisions to actual transformation, right. that we continuously are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. I think one of the things that he mentioned is that we seem to have downplayed the idea of life transformation. That once people have accepted Jesus, we don't expect them to continue to continue to continuously change and be more and more like Jesus. When really, that's what we're saying. It's the beginning of the journey. Who I am today is different from who I was when I first accepted Jesus, but it's also who I, it's different from who I was just even a year ago. The same could be said about you. Could the same could be said about any of the other like Christians that we are walking with right now, because we are continuously being transformed. They are being engaged with, and they are, God is continuously continuing to sanctify and change and challenge the sin in their life. Well, without realizing it, what we end up doing is um, overemphasizing one theological truth, one theological glory of, of being in Christ at the expense of another. So here, here's what I mean. We, we, if we're just having a cross the line mentality, we, we have a, a high view of, of justification, having someone become right with God, right? But if, if that's the, the be all end all, then, then we're not emphasizing what's called the regeneration. There's you, you, when you come to Christ, those who are in Christ Jesus are new creations. The old life is gone and the new life has begun, right? So if we're only emphasizing, okay, you're right with God and we're not emphasizing you actually are a brand new being, which means everything now can change. That means we leave, I think you use the word sanctification out of the picture completely. You you are to be progressively holier and holier and holier mm-hmm. to, to have a life that exhibits Christ more and more that, that, that naturally exhibits the fruit of the spirit more and more. I should say supernaturally because of Christ working in you because of you are a new creation. And, and so this is that whole, just like you said, this is that shift to transformation. Right. And so going back to the illustration of the car, we're, we're, we're not trying to abandon the idea of reaching people for Jesus and having to make a decision, but we're shifting our focus to the idea that we want to see people continuously being transformed into the likeness of Christ more and more. So not just that initial decision, 
But as we continue to walk with them, they are still being transformed more and more like Jesus. It is an expectation, honestly, that we are different people than who we were just even months ago. What happens if you have a manual car and you only drive it in first gear? Dude, that sucker is going to die. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not really fun. Yeah. Right? I mean, part of why you drive a manual car is so that you can shift. (laughs) You know? Like, it's exciting to go up and and go faster and all that. And it's exciting. It's interesting that you say that because the way that car is designed, it's like if you st- leave it in first gear the entire time, you're going to run it into the ground. You're work- you're overworking the motor, mm-hmm. which is a lot of the times what happens in churches, right? We kind of overwork people because we're not shifting the way we need to be shifting. So yeah, that's a good illustration. Yeah. So. yeah I think the, the second um, kind of transition we're making then is, is from uh, not just, you know, uh, getting people to believe, but getting them to be transformed. And the second one then is from, from just informing people to actually equipping people. Right. Right. Instead of just data dump, here's information, here's Bible knowledge. We want to equip them to live the life that God's called them to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of a, another incorrect view of discipleship. The discipleship is, is primarily knowledge-based. And we can be really good at this, right? Mm-hmm. We can yeah. be really good at this. You're a teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm a teacher. Uh, you're a student. I'm a student. We love to study the Word of God. We love to teach the Word of God. We love to know more about the Bible. And it is it is a joy to see a light bulb come on in someone's mind as you connect sure. truths yeah. of the Scripture for someone, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's really fun. But if that's all we're doing is teaching them about the Bible and increasing their knowledge, we're actually not making disciples. Correct. Well, um, so instead, the, the correct view is we need to, to move away from this knowledge-based discipleship to what's called an obedience-based discipleship. The, the, the need to move from, you know what, now I know a ton about the Bible to now I'm, now I'm living the truths of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another way to say it is we need to move from learning more truth to living more truth. Uh, learning more truth to, to living more truth. Um, and, and, you know, we've got a church that's Southern Baptist affiliation. Um, previous years, Southern Baptist churches have been huge on Sunday school mm-hmm. and Bible study. And you know what? Those things are, those are great. We have no problem with those. But if that's, if that's the end result of, of discipleship, right. what, what, what are you going to have? What are you going to have if someone, all they do is study the Bible? That speaks to the spiritually fat Christian, right? The person who consumes a lot of information, but never does anything with it. James talks about that, you know, and we, we need to make sure that we are living out our faith and, and doing the things that we know God is calling us to do. And so with that, as, as, as ministers of the word, that's why it's, it's part of our call is to equip people to do the work of the ministry and to do the work of loving and discipling others. So I, you know, there are a lot of people that have questions about the Bible all the time, and I'm more than happy to to teach them and talk to them and, and walk through them. But eventually, the expectation is that they would turn around and help others do that as well, too. Which starts with us to remember that it's not just us who's teaching; but we have to give them the tools to be able to do that. And, and you're talking about obedience in a positive light, and I think that this is a really important distinction because sometimes we talk about obedience and we see that as simply, okay, I need to obey so I shouldn't sin anymore. Right? I need to obey, so I, I need to stop lying, or I need to stop you know, looking lustfully at people, or I need to stop you know, being so angry. Uh, but it's, obedience is so much more than not pursuing sin. Mm-hmm. It's actually, it's pursuing a life of faithfulness. It's pursuing a life of purpose. It's pursuing a life that is like the entirety of your life is that, that missionary 
who is living to make disciples to impact other people in a positive way, right? This makes you think of one of our elders. His name's Phil. He is a, uh, he's a church planting catalyst in the Northwest. He, he's previously a pastor. He's an elder here at Valley. And his, his, Joel, his, Joel, his job is to help churches start new churches, to help people plant and begin churches, right? And he, I've heard him say this a handful of times over the years. He says, the church is full of experienced church members, not mature Christians. Um, What what comes to your mind when you hear something like that, man? A a quote like that. The church is full of experienced church members. They're experienced in how to be a church member and go to Bible study and all that, but but not mature Christians. That, that, what brings to my mind is the person who understands the church culture, right? We show up, we have Sunday school, we have service. Service looks like this. It's always four songs and a message, or it's always this. And if we change any of this stuff, I'm going to get mad because this is how church is supposed to be. This is the golden standard of church. When really, they don't understand the maturity of having a theology of ministry and a philosophy of ministry, which feeds into their methods of ministry, which, again, going back to what we said earlier, is dynamic from culture to culture to culture. And so that's someone who isn't spiritually mature. That's someone who, again, who is very experienced in the culture. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, you talk about theology and a philosophy of ministry. You don't have to necessarily have this academic approach to things. I think about the guy that is, he knows some basic truths about the Bible. He knows that he's supposed to be sacrificial and loving to someone. And he is doing that faithfully day in and day out. That's what he does. He invests in people. He, he cares for them. And he's leading people to Jesus. Um, he, this is not, again, this is not knowledge-based. This is obedience-based. Obedience. This is living it out, right? And so is is uh, an academic approach to the Bible helpful? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Should you, should you be, you know, hopefully, are you growing in that? Absolutely. But is that what it takes to be mature? No. no. It's obedience that, that really results in maturity. Right. Um, and we're not telling people to not study and to not do it, but we're saying you need to be obedient. Yeah. I know a lot of times for me, I, I get anxious. I don't think other people do about like, they start to thinking about these grand scopes of like, how, how am I going to live if the world changes and does this or this? And, and there's all these situations that could happen. But I, and then you and I've had this conversation that for me, I have to boil it down moment to moment and just say like, am I being faithful to my God in this moment? And what that always does, that brings up what I already know. And in that moment, just being faithful to that. And that's, that's what we're looking for, right? Is someone who you already know God. If you if you're listening to this, you probably already attend church. You probably know a couple of things or whatever. And in those moments, as you seek to honor God from moment to moment, that's what we're looking. That's a mature Christian. A mature Christian is thinking about Christ and aligning your will to His moment to moment, not just showing up and checking off the things and be like, "Oh, this is what church is supposed to be," and moving on. But actually seeking Him moment yeah. to moment. And if we're going to layer this, you know, we're talking about informing, moving from informing to equipping. Uh, another aspect of this is moving from caring to equipping. Now you, you hear that and you say, what you mean? We shouldn't be caring, but, but here's the deal. Oftentimes those church members, those experienced church members, they, their goal is to be cared for by the church leadership, mm-hmm. right? Their goal is that, that they know their church leadership loves them and is going to care for them and, and be with them for whatever they need. That's actually not the, the responsibility of church leadership. Church leadership is, they, they do care. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's part of shepherding. Mm-hmm. But that's not, that's not the be-all, end-all. In fact, uh, God gives church leaders to a church for the purpose of equipping people for the work of ministry, right? Mm-hmm. This is classic Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. Why don't you read that? This is, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Yeah. It, it continues. It says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is it, casting a vision for maturity. This is casting a vision that says you should be mature and the, your leaders help you be mature by teaching you the right doctrine so that you can be equipped so that you can live out the, the life of a disciple. Okay. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the idea of like going back to uh, Phil's quote, the church is full of experienced church members versus, you know, and, and not mature Christians. I think about the idea of uh, counseling and pastoral care right now, which if I know my history correctly, that became a thing starting in the 1980s that pastors got like these counseling backgrounds and started offering like care and counseling, all these things. And culturally, we've come to expect that now because if you've only experienced church in that context, today we have church members that if they don't get one-on-one face-to-face contact with the pastor in every family crisis or when they're in the hospital, all those things, they feel like the pastor is not doing the work of pastoring when really by the biblical standards, that's not the role. That's not the job. That's the body. That's the work of the body. It was, whereas pastors, we're here to equip. It's not that we don't care, but that's not the sole thing that we're part of. We do care. It's because we're part of the body, not because we're pastors. Yeah. I think pre COVID, you know, visiting someone in the hospital. Uh, one of the things I love about Valley is rarely would I be the first one there. There'd be, there'd be a deacon, there'd be a, a life group leader, there'd be a life group member, there'd be a friend from the church. See, uh, th- that's the community. If, if all the care for everyone's expected to land on one person's shoulders, that person's never going to do it. Impossible. But, but if we're a community and, and the leaders do what the leaders can do best, mm-hmm. you know, that really is a, that is a, that is a church that's set up to, to truly make disciples. And so... So with that, that's, that's what I love about what you just said about with our church in the Valley, because there have been times where I know that people from our church have gone to visit someone in the hospital, but when that person has left the hospital, they're mad at the church because the, the quote unquote, the church didn't care about them because in their mind, the pastor represents the church when really people from the church did go and care for them. Yeah. Again, that goes from the, that's someone who's living their life based on church experience yeah. versus a mature faith. Yeah, and it's really um, kind of, it diminishes the, the actual reality that the Spirit of God is dwelling in that church member that's visiting someone in need, mm-hmm. right? It's basically saying, well, you're, you're not really important. You're, you're not really valuable. Like, that's a dangerous thing, a dangerous way to think, you know? I don't know if you remember, this is actually the passage that I preached when I came here as a candidate. Yeah, this, this is, is the one, you had a Back to the Future reference yeah. on there. Yeah. I remember this message very well, because at the moment you had that reference of Marty McFly, I was like... This is my guy. This is, this is who I want to be with. <laughs> well, you know, that came after weeks of stalking you on Facebook and learning that you would appreciate that. And, yeah, you know, you know, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to stalk me. I wish I could say that's true. But, <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, hopefully more and more pastors catch this. That our goal is to equip people. You know, that's, I mean, I think God called me here, if I'm honest. Like, Jesus puts leaders in churches for this purpose. And, I, like, I, I really try to remind myself of this all the time. My goal here is to help everyone be a disciple of Jesus to the fullest extent, right? That's, that's, I've got to keep that front and center, you know? 
So that's, you know, that's, if we're, if we're talking about this, okay, we're moving from informing or caring to equipping, and then we keep going and say, okay, well, the next thing then is moving from activity to relationship. Um, you know, churches are awesome at having lots of things to do. <laughs> I mean, list off some programs that you've been part of in, in churches before, Andrew. Dude, we've got our like VBS, we've got our potlucks that we do, our Thanksgiving potlucks, we have our Christmas choirs, we've got Easter celebrations, uh, there's our Friday fun nights for youth groups, there's outreaches that we do, there's feeding the homeless, there's n- neighborhood block parties. I mean, I can keep going. There's Bible studies, I don't, I don't know why that wasn't first, but... Like. Uh, Bible studies ad nauseum, like you, you, forever, yeah. right? Um, are those good things? Great things. Yeah. 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 Are. Those are really good. Churches can be so talented at filling the calendar, at keeping everyone busy, and our emphasis can be on programming or on activities, mm-hmm. and we can miss the mark when it comes to relationships. That's right. See, the, the danger of doing good is that you never do the most important. I think about this in my own schedule. If I've got a big project to do and I've got a ton of small administrative things to do, it I can get wrapped up in doing the administrative things and feel really good about all the the product, all the productivity that is taking place, yeah. but not do the most important thing. Yeah. Churches do the exact same thing. And and so the, the important thing is aiming at making disciples. Um, aiming at impacting others for the name of Christ and moving them along so they can make disciples as well, right? Um, it's interesting. This has been one of the blessings of COVID. And, and even over the last few years, uh, a couple of years ago, I had some leaders come up to me and they were doing some, some uh, high commitment, high energy, lots of work kind of ministries. And they just said, Mike, look, we're doing this and we don't see any relationships being formed. We don't see any long-term fruit being being produced. This is not sustainable. We're burnt out. We want to let this die. <laughs> and I think they were a little nervous. I'd be like, no, you have to do this. And I said, no, let, let it die. If it's not something that's actually producing relationships and disciples, it, it, it might be just an activity instead of what we should be doing. You know, um, this goes back to the, the early church. And in Acts chapter two, there's actually a passage that describes the, the early church and how the early church was operating and, and what they look like. Um, would you mind reading that passage for us? Yeah. Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this, this passage is a series in itself, right? We can sit here for weeks on end and, and just tether out some of the truth, right? There's some great things, right? The this apostles' was, teaching. This was my first sermon. Oh, was it? It was, this, yeah. That's funny. Back at 15, yeah. Um, you know, there's the apostles' teaching, there's communion, there's evangelism, there's needs-based yep. uh, ministry, there's benevolence. I mean, there's so much stuff going on here, right? That That is really, it lays out a pattern and and some high-valued items and in, in ministries for the church. But I want to kind of look almost between the lines. I want to look at some of the smaller words. 
Look at how many times words like they and themselves and their are used. Look, you can just look at it through it. Really small words. They, themselves, fellowship, all, together, they, all, together, there, they, there, there. All of these words are aiming us and showing us that there is a commitment to relationship and togetherness that is the centerpiece of this passage. Yep. I mean, when you preached it, that was your big idea, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, being together is referenced a total of 12 times here. Now that doesn't mean this is the big, big idea necessarily, but, but I just want us to get a flavor for how important relationships and togetherness is in the life of the church. There, there, there's not going off and doing this all by yourself, this individualism, um, it, it, there's not this, this even emphasis on let's do all this stuff. It's let's do it together, together. Let's do it in relationship with each other. This means we need to move from doing more stuff to building more relationships. Move from doing more stuff, like let's fill the calendar, or or not even as a church, as an individual. How easy is it, Andrew, to fill our calendars with all the things we can be doing? Oh my gosh. Versus building relationships. I've actually seen COVID help with this this last year. Because COVID, you know what it did is it, 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 slammed the brakes of the church machine. It meant a lot of things that we were doing, a lot of activities that we just do almost without giving thought to that they had to stop. And and some of them might not start back up again. And other things, other things that really build relationships have thrived. I was talking with another one of our leaders this week and uh, his, his life group is now meeting on zoom. And, uh, and he told me this last year, he has, he has had better attendance in Zoom than previous years when they gather in person. And you know what? Want to know why? Because having some of these activities stripped away has made people realize their need for relationships, their need to know people and be known, to care for people and be cared for. Um, Ogden actually references this. He says that we need, to, we need to shift from the individual focus to the community focus. This is all emphasizing we need each other more than we realize. Yep. Um, it, and, and, you know, America, we, we kind of can have this, you know, rugged individualism, this I can do everything on my own. I mean, that, that exists in ministry, that exists in the church. Uh, but just because it exists doesn't mean it's the right thing or the best way to do it, Right. Um, and so that, you know, move from activity to relationship and, and the last shift, or the last, I guess, adjustment is move from, from coming to going. Mm-hmm. And, and what I want to talk about here is, is the measure of a church's success because, uh, it's really easy to measure a church's success by numbers. Right. How many people come on Sunday? How much money is in our budget? How big is our building? Those have been the classic, you know, metrics for, mm-hmm. for measuring a church. And this is another way COVID has been a blessing. Cause you know what? COVID has said, none of that matters. <laughs> yeah. No one's coming to your church for months yep. and uh, you know, giving might go down and your building is sitting there empty, right? Yep. Like, Oh, what happened to this, this emphasis on, on people coming? Well, it's, it's gone away. Right. Um, instead the, the real metric is how many people are going now, this doesn't mean how many people are leaving your church because they don't agree with this or they don't like that, <laughs> right? Uh, our goal is not to run people away, uh, run people off. No, no. The idea of going is that we are sending people back into the world as 
as disciple makers. That people, they come and they gather and they get built up and they get encouraged and they get equipped so that they can go. And when they go, they can make a difference in their community. That's what we're talking about. Go and make disciples. Live in your community as missionaries. And this is is a uh, term that you introduced to, uh, you know, to me, I, I'd heard it before, but you really helped with this concept, the idea of tribes. Mm-hmm. What, what do we talk about when we're talking about a valley, when we say, hey, go to your tribe? You have natural affinity of different people groups within our, within our culture. I, I love the idea of tribes because, you know, when, when you think of a tribe, you think of like third world people living like just out in the boonies or something like that. But the truth is tribes is like they're... They're people who have an affinity who come together, come and they they worship or they are engaged in things that bring them together. So for you, your your tribe is a tribe of baseball and I guess apparently now pickleball. I guess right, yeah. And for me, it was the CrossFit community for the longest time, and it was the opportunity for me to go and be a part of something that it just brought us together for a reason. But with that, I was a missionary within that tribe. You know, it's, it's just the idea that like I, we, we study missionaries who go into third world countries or just other countries in general to find different people groups and they live amongst them. They share their life with them. But in those, in those moments, they also get to connect with them and share Jesus with them. And that can be done here in Longview, here in the United States, here in just our world, because we have tribes. I think in, there is a tribe of first responders. There is. The people who are first responders, they all get together, and that's that's a maybe another word is click, right? But that's their tribe. They they live together. They know how each other work and feel. There's also teachers. Teachers kind of congregate together and all those things like that. Nurses kind of actually same with first responders. Business owners, business owners, they all, all sorts of sports. Yeah. Each uh, school has a tribe. Mill workers, yep. Mill workers all kind of have a tribe and how they do things. So we have tribes that we can we could and should be sending people out to, and connecting with it because we. We're naturally already a part of those things. Honestly, if you're just living your life, you're already a part of those of those tribes. And we're we're asking people to go into those tribes intentionally as a missionary for Jesus. Yeah. So when we talk about this, you know, we, we should invite people to church, right? That that's part of it. We've actually talked about that a few weeks ago on, on our podcast. But that's not that's not the be all end all. That's not the only way we do this. Instead of relying completely for our ministry strategy is come listen to my pastor, mm-hmm. right? Hopefully people want to invite people to listen to their pastor, but, but it's recognizing there are people that they're nowhere near ready to come into the doors of a church. And so we want to send you out so you can have an impact on people's lives that I will never meet. And, and you know, I, I don't have an opportunity to go meet certain people. I don't have an in in those communities. There are certain communities. If I walked in and people found out I'm a pastor, it's like uh, I'm a leper, mm-hmm. right? But the, the average ordinary church tender, church member who sees himself as a disciple, they go into those places and they, they already have the relationships. And so we want to emphasize more than just coming, come to church. Yes, of course. We want you to go, go to your community, go to your mission field and make an impact. This is, we need to move from being consumers. That's what come says. Come consume a message, come consume a worship service. We need to move from being consumers to being co-laborers. We're all working together as disciple makers. Right. And so these are some of the shifts. If, if we're wrapping this up, here's what I'm thinking is, is uh, if I'm bringing this to a close, I'm guessing if someone's listening to this, they want to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Yeah. 
maybe there's a troll out there that's listening to this like, you know, I, I hate everything you're saying, but, but chances are, if you're spending, you know, 30, 40 minutes listening to this, yeah, if you're still here listening, you're, you want to be, a faithful. you want to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Right. Um, and so I, I want that person to see these shifts that we're talking about, not as a brand new ministry strategy, because they're actually not. They're actually a return back to the way Jesus did ministry, the way the early church did ministry. These are all rooted in the scripture. This isn't a brand new um, ministry idea. Oh, look what we figured out. No, no, no. This is actually, let's, let's stop emphasizing some of the cultural aspects of the church in the last 20 to 30 years. And, and actually, let's see ourselves as disciple makers. I mean, this is the way Jesus was doing things. I mean, what would you say? This is the way? That's right. This is the way? This is the way. Uh, but Mando. We want, we want you to see yourself as a disciple and a disciple maker. So how can you do this? How can you, how can you grow as a disciple? Let, let me just end with a few key ideas that whether you just started following Christ yesterday or you've been following him for 50 years, these ideas, honestly, they apply to all of us. So, so first of all, see everyone in your life as someone you are discipling. Every person in your life, God has put them in your life for relationship for his purpose. This might mean you need to grow personally. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I also want you to remember that there's this blessing called mutuality. Sometimes we think, you know what? I'm not a pastor or I'm not a leader. And so I can't really have a, an influence in people's lives. But, but here's, the, here's the glory of the church. Here's one of the beauties of the church. Position does not mean that, that someone has achieved some hierarchy and they can't be influenced by others. I mean, I look at you and I, we, I'm, I'm your boss, right? Yep. Um, yet we have a friendship. And more than that, we have a partnership in the gospel. And so my life, you influence me to follow Jesus in, in some wonderful ways. And so if I come to the table saying, well, you know what? I got it all figured out and Andrew can never influence me. I'm, I'm going to miss the boat completely. I am not going to be a good disciple maker. I'm not going to be a good disciple. But the reality is every person in my life, I am influencing them as, as someone discipling them. But at the same time, that every Christian in my life, they're influencing me. My wife influences me. God calls me to lead my family, but my wife, she helps me grow in Christ. My kids, they help me grow in Christ, even though I'm the key spiritual leader in their life. And so I, I think, first of all, just relax a little bit and say, every person in my life is discipling me and I'm discipling them, right? So see everyone in your life as someone you're discipling. And then also you need to grow in, in knowledge, in obedience and in ability. See, this goes back to that moving from information to, to equipping. Don't just grow in knowledge. Don't just learn more of the Bible, but also don't let the pendulum swing to the other end where you say, oh, I don't need to learn anything else. I just need to you know, be a loving person. No, grow in knowledge. You should always be learning more of scripture. Mm -hmm. Then allow that to grow in your obedience. Apply what you have learned and then grow in your ability. You, you might be think, sitting here thinking, man, I freeze every time I try to talk about Jesus to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Well, go grow an ability. Come talk to me. Come talk to Andrew. Come talk to a, uh, your life group leader or a spiritual leader in the church and say, how, how do I approach someone to talk about Jesus, right? We can help you grow in that. That's our job. <laughs> and so uh, see everyone in your life as someone you're discipling, grow in knowledge and obedience and in ability. And then finally, and maybe most importantly, build relational environments. Um, one of the greatest ways to change the world is to open up your house and have someone over for dinner. One of the greatest ways to, to change the world is to create a space where people come together and love each other and care for each other. And in that, 
you, you view yourself as a discipler. Everyone can do that. I mean, think about the people at Valley. Is, is there anyone who can't start here? Right? I think about some people that have come to faith in the last year. They can start here. That's right. They can say, I'm just going to start influencing people for Jesus the best I can. I'm going to grow in that, and I'm going to, I'm going to care for people in a relational way. Yeah. So those are some of the shifts, right? Yeah. What else might you add to this? You know, I, I guess I would just emphasize, because you may have heard some conflicting ideas, because earlier we said, you know, let's grow in obedience and not emphasize knowledge and stuff. But what I love that you wrote down in here is that we want to grow in knowledge, obedience, and ability. One of the things that we need to remember is that we're not, like a plane needs both wings to fly, right? We're not saying cut one out and and just focus on the other. It's We need both. And in this, the idea is that when we, especially in, in the blessing of mutuality, it's about just caring, just genuinely caring. And honestly, at the moment right now, you may not have like the best biblical knowledge, right? Like last night uh, in, at youth group, it seems like every week kids are asking about like the Apocrypha and all these things like that. And some of our adult leaders, they don't know, not, they're not sure how to answer it, but you know what? Those kids, what they'll remember isn't that they don't know that our leaders don't know anything, but the fact that our leaders are spending time with them, just caring for them, asking them how, how their week is going, asking them what's going on. And those kids are feeling and knowing the love of Christ and they continue to come and learn and engage. They're being discipled through the love and the relationship of our adult leaders who in turn continue to grow in their knowledge and obedience and ability. So don't be shy. And, it, and just know that like, it's okay. Be, be brave enough to be bad at something and to work at it. That's how you to, grow, man. Yeah. That's how you grow. We, we live in a world right now that you, and I'm guilty of this. I, it wasn't until I was like in my late 20s where I realized like I have a terrible work ethic. People think that I, I, I work really hard. I only work really hard at things I'm good at. When I run into something that I'm not good at, when I find a weakness in me, typically, just like most people, I just want to leave it there. But what I've learned in the last few years is like, man, if I'm bad at something, here's the opportunity to hone it, to work on it, and then to get good at it. So that's, that's spot on. You know, I, I hope that people consider this. I, I hope maybe we get some questions about discipleship. And, and I think this is going to be kind of our theme for 2021 as, yeah. we, as we go into it. I think we're going to be fine-tuning this. You know, we, we've taken some steps already in terms of training some leaders in discipleship and things like that. But I think this process, the, the tools we have, the vision we have for it, it's only going to become more solidified and more exciting. And so yeah, it, I would encourage, good things are coming down the road. Yeah, I, I would encourage people to, if they're listening to this and if they are sparked by something or they have questions, feel free to write in to Texas, get a hold of us, and we can discuss it more because we went through several days of just drinking through a fire hose. And what we just outlined was probably a flyby of one session. So there is a lot more depth to this. And if you're curious and you just want to know more, or you want some more tools, again, please feel free to, to ask because, man, there is a lot. Well, uh, how about we pray? Yeah. And let's call it a day. Sounds good, Mike. Father, I thank you that you have saved us in Jesus Christ. And as you've saved us in Jesus Christ, you have given us this, this incredible cause to, to throw our entire lives into, the cause of, of the name of Jesus, of making disciples. Lord, I pray that you would help our listeners today, and Andrew and I as well, help us to see every person in our lives as someone that you have put in our lives on purpose it's someone that we are called to influence them, that they might come to not just know you, 
but to grow in you, to, to become like you, to, to really become disciple makers themselves. And Lord, I pray for even this next year, and, and Lord, you know that we've had lots of challenges this last year. I'm, I'm sure there will be tons of challenges in the coming year, but, but even though there are challenges, your, your commission your command to us to make disciples, it does not change. So help us to embrace it. Help us to be passionate about it. Lord, help us to grow in our ability and our knowledge and in our obedience to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.